Hello and welcome again to Lost in Science. This is Half an Hour on your radio where we talk about science and this week we're going to revisit uh, an old segment which we haven't done for a while. We're going to get uh, in our element and I'm going to ask the question, why is silver only the second most valuable prize metal that you can be awarded? What, what is silver and what does it do for us and why mm. is it only always second prize? Why is it never first prize? Is it, is it always second best, isn't it? Uh, speaking of winners, though, yes. Chris. Yeah, hey. Uh, look, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the most important prizes in science being the Ig Nobel Prizes. Well, today I'm going to talk about the, the other ones, the, the Nobel Prizes. Oh, uh, those ones? Yeah, 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 every year they give them out. But this one, it's got about the, um, the Nobel Prize for Medicine because it's a particularly interesting prize this year. There's a couple of, couple of achievements there for diseases that affect the developing world i suppose more parasitic than diseases parasitic diseases that inf- right. affect the the developing world and, and the non developing world and yeah um, but bigger effect in the, the in the developing world. world yeah um, and uh, yeah some some really interesting sort of medicines that have now are helping save a lot of lives including one derived from traditional chinese medicine which is kind of an interesting story claire i am interviewing dr nikki Ashtagi, she's a chemical engineer who's just won the Victorian Professional Engineer of the Year. Speaking of winners. Speaking of winners. Yes. Dr. Nikki Ashtagi. Great. Um, so Nikki uh, has her research in um, innovations in wastewater treatment So, um, and has a huge grant with Melbourne Water. So I thought I would ask her about that and what happens when you are Victorian Engineer of the Year. Mm. Whether she got a big, um, I don't know key to the city or key to the state or... Well, it's just to go, like, open things now. Yeah. Something better than a silver medal, hopefully. Does she have to engineer everything in the state now? Well, everything chemical, possibly. Everything chemical, yeah. Winners all round. I'm with the show. Nobel Prize for Medicine, actually the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine was awarded recently, and it went to it went to three people um, for two kind of achievements. That's the way the Nobel Prize works. One was for uh, discoveries concerning a novel therapy against infections caused by roundworm parasites, and the other one was to was for discoveries concerning a novel therapy against malaria. These are both really interesting discoveries. I thought I would talk about them. The other Nobel Prize are a bit boring, really. So, this is Chris's pick of the Nobel Prize. It is actually. It's like it's the most headline grabbing, I suppose. But you know, malaria is a pretty huge um, thing to talk about. I mean, it's one of the biggest killers in the world. Aha! Uh-huh, but declining, which is the good news, where we can talk about what is being achieved with this um, this current research, because his research is making a big dent on it. Great, and so- has been for a while. Uh, or just recently, just recent, basically this century. Mm-hmm. So um, UU two was uh, was the um, the I think I'm pronouncing that right um, was a researcher who was won the Nobel Prize for malaria. So I'm going to talk about her work um, initially. And so basically, she has developed a medicine or a found a drug called artemisin, art, no, artemisinin, um, Art- artemisinin, artemisinin, named after the plant artemisia. 
Yes, Artemisia annua, or sweet wormwood. Right. You, you're familiar with that one? Oh, well, it's yeah, it's one of the wormwoods. They made absinthe out of one of the different ones. So Okay, well, yeah. there you go. Mm, it's one of the sweeter wormwoods. Mm. Yes. Mm. Now, this one is actually a um, a plant that was used in Chinese traditional medicine or traditional Chinese medicine. Um, supposedly was mentioned for as a treatment for fever in a medical book from something like 1700 years ago. Wow. From, uh, but now, um, so basically they were essentially plumbing the the, um, the depths of traditional medicine, trying to find plants that are, or treatments that can be can be useful, actually do have an effect. And they found this one from the, uh, the Artemisia annua, uh, herb and developed this this new um, this new drug out of it. Um, so yeah, it, it's got it's like an interesting, really interesting prize because it is that kind of bringing knowledge, I guess, from the traditional um, practices and finding out of that out of those plants what is the actual active ingredient and how do you improve that? Yeah. So what what does how how is the drug useful? Is it useful as a a treatment for people with malaria? It is, yeah. It's a it's a treatment for malaria. Basically, it kills the parasite. It, the actual mechanism that the way it does it is not totally known, right. but it kills the parasite. Now, I suppose to give a bit of context, as you said, the um, malaria is a huge killer, um, but it has been tackled. With, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of efforts to try and tackle it, and uh, essentially, there's been a lot of success so far. So it was one of the Millennium Development Goals to really try and wipe out malaria, and one of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's biggest targets right they're a big yeah they're a huge part of it so what we've actually seen since the year 2000 uh, death rates have dropped by 60 percent wow this is not insignificant incident rates have fallen by 37 percent globally death rates by 60 percent wow um and the two main things i guess they focused on is um well prevention in terms of insecticide treated nets so that's one of the things that said the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been big on is um, getting distributing those nets, uh, some mosquito nets. And the other one is this um, this treatment using this new new drug. Now, um, I guess one of the things that makes this drug so special, apart from the fact that it is, does seem quite effective and is more effective than existing ones derived from, say, quinine. I think there's the chloroquinine or a kind of more advanced mm-hmm, version of the, quinine. From the bark, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, quinine had some problems. Apparently it has, you know, some unpleasant side effects and those sort of things. Apart from, you know, if you drink too much gin and tonic, you're going you're gonna to feel it. There's definitely unpleasant side effects. There are it. some yeah. that, yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, so it is... It, one of the problems is that with the existing drugs, of course, you're getting, um, as you do with all these things, you're getting resistance. So the parasites are getting resistant to these um, other drugs, which is why they needed to develop, one of the main reasons they need to develop a new one. And um, in fact, the the World Health Organization now is recommending with this new one that it's not given, they strongly recommend that it's not given on its own. So it's called artemisinin-based combination therapies, where you have it as the main drug, but you have a, a few other drugs with it, so that um, you really kind of blitz the um the parasites with a range of drugs and they can't get um stops them building up resistance yeah they can't build resistance to all of them and so yeah that's that's the way that's kind of protecting against preventing the the resistance developing um against it because yeah big fear that if you know this is a great new drug but that if then they develop resistance and you've lost that benefit mm. so yeah look it is a really interesting one it's making a huge difference of course to people's lives um it is developed from a traditional plant now um this plant is not terribly common. Uh, fortunately, there have been recent achievements in developing, uh, synthesizing it from genetically engineered yeast. So that way they'd be able to get um, more more supply and much as they lower want, the and, price. And, and standard uh, concentrations and stuff too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, good news all around for, for malaria. 
Um, the other half of the price was for, um, uh, like I said, roundworm parasites. Now, this is a drug called, well, it was originally called um, avermectin, but they created a, a better version of it called ivermectin. Ivermectin. Yep, that, that's correct. <clears throat> yeah, uh, sorry. And it, it tackles a, a range of roundworms. And it was developed by two people. People won this prize. It was um, Bill Campbell from Ireland and Satoshi Omura from Japan. And essentially, they developed this new drug from bacteria that were found to have anti-parasitic properties. It was a um, uh, streptomyces bacteria. What, is it, what does the roundworm do? Well, there's a. This is interesting because actually, it's it's this is a very good antiparasitic drug, and it, it tackles a range of uh, roundworms, a few different species. So there's a few different things it can do. The main one that they've they're using it against is um, it's called onocerciasis or onocerciasis, which is known as river blindness, and this is where a little um, little worm called I'm going to look its name up. It is it's got a name similar to that on yes. On Oncocersa volvulus, um, it basically a fly carries it, the fly bites you, this worm gets into you, and then it goes into your eye and makes you blind. Really unpleasant. It also creates nodules in other places. So, so it basically eats out your eyeball. Yeah, something like that. It builds, um, it builds big kind of... Is that a roundworm that's supposed to be in the human body, though, or a roundworm that's supposed to be in a different, in a different species and just ends up in the human body? Because um, mostly roundworms are supposed to be in the digestive system. That's where they... Well, this one travels, yeah, around the skin. is oh. falls on the skin. One of the other ones that's being used again, which is another debilitating disease, is elephantiasis, which is a different, um, a different roundworm. That one is, um, and that's a disease called lymphatic filiariasis. Um, and that's where it yeah, well, causes a big yeah. swelling up in your... Blocks in your up limbs. the lymph system. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. So there's a few. It's also used in um, veterinary, various veterinary um, applications as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that's another one. This one is... Um, these diseases are something they call neglected tropical diseases because they don't affect people in developed countries so much. Uh, and, um, yes, yeah, hasn't been much treatment for them previously. But now there's these new treatments. Um, apparently, this is, uh, you know, as well we're saying, you know, the... Um, traditional Chinese medicine doing getting some bit of attention. This is now on the other another group that doesn't get a lot of lot of love. Um, Big Pharma, apparently um, Merck Pharmaceutical Company has is giving away this drug free to the developing countries and might, making it available free to um to try and uh, treat these diseases. So they're doing good things as well. Isn't that nice of them? That is nice of them. So yeah, look, um a lot of people's lives being benefited by these these developments that won the Nobel Prize in Medicine. So I think we can all be in favour of that. That's wonderful and wonderful that it's being recognised. It is, yes. <laughs> Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Our constantly growing urban population puts pressure on all sorts of infrastructure. But something that might not immediately come to mind when you think about infrastructure is sewerage systems. And what happens to the sheer volume of sewerage that needs to be processed from our cities every day? My guest today is Dr Nikki Eshtagi from RMIT University, who's researching new ways to improve our wastewater treatments by understanding the chemistry and physics of how this waste, or sludge, flows in the first place. 
So, Nikki, welcome to Lost in Science. Now, I want to ask you a big picture question to start with. Um, how important is clever and innovative waste management for environmental sustainability in our cities? And um, what sort of issues are facing us now? Uh, thanks, Claire, for introduction. Um, so, sustainability is a significant contemporary issue. In future livable city, sustainable urban design compel a better integration of the wastewater treatment in the whole urban water cycle, in which treated water has to be reused while excess sludge, or in another word, solid residue left over from the wastewater treatment has to be seen as a valuable resource and become a second life raw material for energy production. The management of the sludge, the management of the sludge is one of the world's pressing environmental problems, mm -hmm. representing up to 50% of the operational cost of the treatment plan. A sustainable sludge management strategy is of high significance due to legal banning of the conventional sludge disposal methods such as land flooding and rapid population mm -hmm. uh, growth and urbanization. Um, just based on 2013 UNESCO report, right now over half of the world population residing in the urban area. But wow. by 2013, three quarters of the old people on earth will live in the city or in urban area. Oh my gosh. Consequently, global wastewater sludge generation is increasing at exponential rate. So development of the innovative system is of high significance with the profound environmental and economical impact. Um, now, Nikki, you, your work um, deals with something called rheology of wastewater and solids. Um, can you explain a little bit about what rheology actually is and why it's so important to study? In fact, rheology, it means the, uh, the flow behavior of the material, the mm -hmm. knowledge that look after to see uh, if any force applied, how the material is going to flow. Maybe I can give a simple example of the rheology. When yeah. you take the tomato sauce from your fridge, it's, it's cold, and if you press it, nothing is flowing, but if you shake it, it means you're applying the force a few times. Therefore, when you press it, material starts flowing and that one is the how this material is going to flow that means geology and in fact this flow behavior has a um, huge impact how the material can be pumped how material can be mixed and uh, my group and uh, we are trying to better understand the behavior of the solid residue left over from wastewater treatment plants because um, is not any more water. Even if it has a small concentration, flow behavior is changing massively. Mm. Um, now, you brushed a little bit um, on, what, on the sorts of research that you do. Um, so are there new innovations that you're working on in um, waste management and rheology? Um, and will, they, will these new innovations be benefiting people in Melbourne soon? Maybe I can start with explaining about the um, anaerobic digestion. Yeah. In fact, this solid residue which left over from the wastewater treatment plant, uh, it would be sent to the anaerobic digester for uh, biogas production. So the anaerobic, anaerobic digestion di of a 
sorry, the um the uh, the anaerobic digestion, does that mean that um you've got microbes that um don't exist in oxygenated areas and they do a lot of the digestion for you? Yes, correct. This microorganism consume organic matter in the absence of oxygen, yeah. uh, which significantly reducing sludge volume, which mm. we don't want to left over in the um, plant. And also we can produce biogas as a renewable energy sources. But this digester operation can fail if the bacteria doesn't obtain enough nutrients. But due to lack of understanding of the sludge flow behavior and its impact on the mixing, um, current annual electricity cost of the anaerobic digester across the old wastewater treatment plant in Australia is about $3 million per year. Wow. Despite the fact that they are handling very low solid concentration. It is about 2%. A lot of the greenhouse gas emission, which would be around 60,000 uh, tons of the carbon dioxide per year. And all these costs will increase. If our population is increasing and we have to utilize the same facility with the higher solid concentration of the sludge. And the, my aim and the team that I involve working with them, it's aimed to uh, better understand the flow behavior of a sludge and its impact on the mixing and optimize the anaerobic digester operation and reduce the electricity cost and um, to have the helping Australia to reach the aim of the reduction of the uh, greenhouse gas emission. Well, extremely important environmental uh, aims and objectives there. Yeah, that's right. I'm involved with the another project, which whatever the solid is come out from this anaerobic digester, usually sit for three years before uh, can be used for the land application and for soil uh, conditioning. Finally, I just want to say congratulations on your Engineers Australia Award as Victorian Professional Engineer of the Year. Um, how? Thank you. How did you know chemical engineering was what you wanted to do? And um, I want to know whether you would um, encourage other young women to follow in this path. When I was a high school student, I was interested about the chemistry and mathematics. And that's why I ended up doing the chemical engineering. And also, I was always fascinating to see how raw material can be converted to the uh, everyday use product. That's why I, I really enjoyed very much chemical engineering to fulfill this inspiration. Um, we need more women engineers' talent to contribute to this field of knowledge. And uh, it requires our young female chemical engineers to actively search for a right mentor Mm -hmm. uh, for themselves to help them to grow and progress in their career by giving them right advice um, as they face any difficulty in their world. Well, thank you again so much for speaking us, to us today um, on Lost in Science, Nikki, and um, congratulations again on your award. Thank you so much, Claire, for such a wonderful and great opportunity that you have provided for a few minutes chat. Thank you. <laughs>
been a while since we've had uh, an in our element segment, and we did do gold some considerable time ago now. Yeah, uh, I remember that. But I thought it was about time to look at the second place getter of the of the metals in the periodic table, which is silver, uh, and find out a little bit more about it, and maybe maybe try and figure out why why does gold get first place and silver comes second. Um, so silver is a metal, as I said, the chemical symbol AG, which is from the Greek word for silver, which is arguros. Uh-huh. Um, its atomic number is 47. And interestingly, silver is the product of a special kind of fusion, which is found pretty much only in exploding supernovas. So all the silver on Earth is literally stardust that arrived here from somewhere else. Now, it's more abundant on Earth than gold, which explains why it's cheaper than gold because it's easier to find but it's also quite a bit more useful than gold so it's got decorative qualities which people have been familiar with since antiquity but it's also got some pretty high-tech applications too now silver gets the first place for a number of um, features of this particular metal it has the highest electrical conductivity of any metal Really? has the highest thermal conductivity of any metal, Hmm. and it has the highest reflectivity of any metal. So basically, it's the shiniest thing that we have on Earth. Really? Is that why it's used for silverware, like cutlery? Well, yeah, just because it looks nice as well. And to Mm. blind your enemies? Yeah, well, you could probably use it that way too. Shine shine the light with your your silver-plated knife. That's right. Um, but it is still quite malleable. Um, it's slightly harder than gold, but mm. you can you can you can work with it very uh, easily, which is why another reason why they make jewellery and stuff. Out and of why it. you don't have gold cutlery because it would kind of be oh, bendy and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah fork would bend every time. Yeah. Yeah. Are um, you do? Are there any well-known alloys of silver? There are some alloys with silver in them, but it's kind of quite expensive. So um, even though it's you know. It's cheaper than gold. It varies in price, you know, relative to gold. Between, I think in the last hundred years, it's varied between one fifteenth the price of gold and one hundredth the price of gold. That's a large variation. Yeah, to, you know, markets people mm. um, buy silver futures and things like that. Um, ideally, it would be a better choice for electrical wiring than copper because it has the highest uh, conductivity, but it is expensive. So you're not going to see it replacing copper wiring anytime soon but there are some applications where silver or silver plated wiring or components are used Um, things like vhf radios often have silver um, coatings on their wires because of the high frequency of um, the signals apparently the the silver coating um, makes the makes them more efficient because the uh, electricity flows along the outside of the wire rather than in the middle Um, just depends on the application i guess um, it's obviously been used in mirrors for many, many, many years, and as a currency. Mirror. Yeah, the back of a mirror is usually silver or some sort of silver-based um, ah. paint. Um, well, certainly traditionally, there's probably cheaper alternatives now. Um, obviously, people have used it as currency, uh, mm. and it is actually legal tender in the state of Utah. In the United okay. States, you can just carry silver and expect people to take it from you as payment. The, is um, it the only legal tender over it's there? It's not the only legal tender. I think the, the US <laughs> the dollar US bills dollar? are still accepted widely. Um, the, the United Kingdom um, used to have silver standard and um, 
I've been reading about Isaac Newton lately and his um, time running the, the Royal Mint when there are huge problems with um, people basically melting down all the silver currency and taking it to Europe because it bought gold better in Europe than it did in England. Um, yes. In his time, they moved to the gold standard, I think. So that, they, they fixed that a, problem. Bit of a problem. Yeah. Um, so more recently, silver has been used in the manufacture of photovoltaic solar cells. It's a key component in those uh, PV panels that you see on people's roofs and in electronic components, and they use it in uh, small batteries for watches and hearing aids, silver-based batteries. Hmm. Um, it's got a long history of being used in old-fashioned chemical-based photography um, and nitrate. photographic printmaking, and apparently the the darkest black colours in photographs is due to a silver oxide that they use in the hmm. developing process. Um so it's not only shiny; it's also very black. If you well, right when it's kind of... when it's when it's combined with other things, I mean, you know, most things change colour if you combine them into different salts and stuff. Uh, they also use it in infrared telescope mirrors because of its high reflectivity, and it also reduces the effect of the radiation of the mirror itself. Oh. So they can, yeah, they can sort of tune out a lot of the background um, infrared that would be coming through the telescope. Uh, in medical applications, it's a useful antibiotic. So in a high enough concentration, silver will kill most bacteria and microbial uh, life. Is this where they're also using as nano silver? You see that? They do well? use it for certain applications. Yeah, they use nano silver. Um, but again, yeah, it's anti as an antibiotic. Um, but they also use it for things like catheters if they've got to be in inserted for a really long time okay mm. they use silver-based catheters because mm -hmm. they are they don't um they prevent secondary infections so basically. it kills bacteria it also kills werewolves <laughs> uh yeah silver bullets are very good for lycanthropy yeah uh, so much so that the werewolf is now extinct right yeah. <laughs> um so silver itself is not toxic to human or animals other than werewolves yep um but almost all of the compounds and salts it forms are toxic Oh. which is quite a problem. Um, so poisoning can occasionally occur, which sometimes can result in changes of skin and eye colour. People actually go sort of bluish Silvery grey. Silvery blue. Yeah. Mm. Ah. yeah. Um, and there's been cases where people have taken what they call colloidal silver, mm. which oh, is yeah. supposed to have these amazing healing effects, which actually ends up being toxic and killing them in the end. And they turn blue before they die. Um, so colloidal silver, silver is definitely not something that anyone would recommend for your health. Gotcha. Um, now, in the Second World War, the US government needed to free up other metals like tin and copper and nickel for the war effort. Mm -hmm. So they actually lent out silver from their silver reserves um, and gave them to, you know, industrial firms to use in replacement for, you know, tin solder and stuff like that. Yep. And mm -hmm. and. Um, copper wiring and copper components were replaced with silver in some applications. Tin cans. I'm not exactly sure how they went about recovering it all because no. it would have been these tiny little bits of silver scattered around the country in, in electrical equipment. And so they did try and recover it. Well, I, I can only assume it was their silver reserve. It was, um, mm. you know, that was it was an investment that the government owned. So um, I guess winning the war probably um, made return some money. on investment. Yeah, return yeah. on investment was was reasonable. Um, so yeah, silver is an incredibly useful metal. I think it's been unfairly relegated to second place behind gold, especially when you consider that the third place 
bronze. Mm. Shameful bronze. It's, it's not even a met. It's not a metal. <laughs> it's an alloy. It's just like a bunch of stuff melted together. It's like silver's been like, well, you're only second place, but at least you're not bronze, I guess. That's mm. the poor rich metal, I think. Is hi ho silver. I think we can all agree. <laughs> That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsci at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook Uh, And if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost Lost in science. listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.